The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus tells a parable in which the poor one is lifted up and the rich one is sent away empty. Jesus makes it clear that this ethic of merciful reversal is not new, but is as old as Moses and the prophets. Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember, that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us, he said. Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be and remain with you all. Amen. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, as I was preparing for our sermon this week, I was uh, kind of caught by a little story that was referring to a police report in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, some time ago. And it kind of amused me that uh, this neighborhood had Evidently, a number of people started reporting to the police department that there was this car that was driving around the neighborhood for some time in reverse. And so the policemen came on out and a number of things ensued. And finally, they found this car. And indeed, it was driving in reverse quite steadily. And they stopped that and uh, talked to the person. It turned out to be a teenage girl. And as they discussed things and talked things over exactly what was going on here, she uh, confessed to the fact that, well, she had just been learning to drive, and her parents had allowed her to use the car. 
Well, unfortunately, she had gone beyond the limit that she was allowed in her mileage, and she just said to the policeman, just saying, well, I was just trying to unwind it a little bit. I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, perhaps it was apocryphal, but uh, it seemed like a... I can sure imagine someone thinking, well, what can I do to turn this back? And with that hope and faith that this was going to affect what she really wanted to have happen. But it doesn't work that way, does it? And that is something that came to mind also then as I was looking at our text for this morning. Because in so many ways, there are different aspects to this text that I think that little story actually has a little moral for that as well. Because there are any number of lessons that can be taken for it. One of those, of course, is the very stark nature in which our Lord Jesus Christ draws this parable. Few of the passages of Scripture are more dramatic about the afterlife and what exactly is that dreadful situation as opposed to those who have received him and his message, those who have lived in the covenant of the Lord. Now, we're often warned by commentators that to be careful that we don't overly interpret that, that the next life as our Lord has planned things, uh, this is not exactly a complete description of things. And I understand that point. I think the point of the scripture there, the parable, is beyond that, and his main point is beyond that. And he is drawing a sort of a picture for us so that we can understand at least the seriousness of the situation. But he tells the story, though, doesn't he? And I don't know how many commentators will warn me that don't overinterpret. I can't help but interpret. Because when I read those words, no amount of commentators can make me feel other than, I think the Lord is trying to tell me something. Those words are very descriptive whether it's somewhat of an illusion as to how things are, I'm sure that we only are able to understand a certain portion of what is happening in our Lord's plan. But, indeed, he's saying there is a stark division. And to be aware of it, and to be prepared for it, and that the preparation is now. And that was especially the point that I seemed to feel that was coming through to me in that passage. As we prepare for that, and we think about that, and it is coming for all of us. A thought that perhaps we would rather not think about. But the Lord is actually kind of inviting us to say, don't worry. There's no reason that you do need to live in fear. I'm giving you a heads up. And I'm saying, what you're doing now the message you're receiving now, the way you respond to me now, will have all the blessings of eternity that will follow. But if you don't heed that now, then there is something to be considering as well. Ultimately, as we go through that passage, I think what, in light of that little story that I was mentioning, there is that striking thought that Like that girl in that car, the message is, you cannot unwind this. You can't go back. Much as we might want to, the reality of the human race, the reality of Paul Schmidt, 
maybe even the reality of someone else in this room, is that we are not perfect. And that things have already been done wrong. And mistakes have been made. And now what do we do? The Lord is making clear that there is no unwinding that. On our own, we can't set the clock back. We can't do anything that will affect that. And yet, he's also making clear it's going to have a bearing on what happens. What am I supposed to do? I thought it was interesting as I went through the Greek of this passage and I got to that ending portion of it. And I don't want to impress anyone with my Greek because it's limited. But I did study it in uh, school and we were trained in that. And certain things do indeed pop out of the page even to someone with a limited understanding. And I thought it was interesting as he gets to that point about someone rising from the dead. Ton nekron, out of the dead. He said whether those who would receive that or not. And the word is metanoion, a version of the word metanoia. Metanoia, among other things, basically means conversion, to turn around. And there in that little word, I thought, there I'm starting to see some hope. Because this isn't so much about God saying, You need to rewind the clock, and oh, by the way, you can't. He is saying what you really need to do is have a fresh start. And what he's really saying is, that's why I'm here. Several commentators that I had consulted, I thought were interesting, and they pointed out, and I found this kind of comforting, that it wasn't just this rich man who was not willing to receive the message of someone risen from the dead. Because as things unfolded, those very disciples who were hearing that word that day, what did they do on Easter morning? When the women came back with that news that that tomb was empty, they say, the record is, they thought it was as idle tales. They didn't believe. What about the disciples on the road to Emmaus? How Jesus talks to them and he says, oh, slow of heart to believe all that is in the Moses and the prophets and the Scripture. And he started to explain that all to them. And finally, there was that point. He appears to them in the upper room. And still he has to tell them, I'm not a ghost. Feel my hands. Feel my side. It is I. They still didn't believe. Why is that comforting? Because Jesus is saying this message that we're all in that same. And none of us are going to get there by our own ability or our own ability to rewind anything. Our lives or anything we've done. Including the disciples themselves. Ultimately, he's saying, when, as he said elsewhere, the Holy Spirit will come and bring all these things to your remembrance. And I wonder then after Pentecost, as all of that was coming together for them, and they realized what they had experienced, what they'd been taught, and now what they had seen and experienced right before them, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, their beloved Lord, they realized we don't have to rewind anything. Jesus has started the thing over again. 
a new life. The old life has ended on the cross, his cross, if you will believe it. The new life begins with him. I find that very, very comforting. I was trying to think of an example of how that affects me personally, and I thought of something as I was preparing that uh, kind of a personal moment that happened about the time, actually at the time of my ordination, a time that this sort of message was really brought home to me in a very striking way, or so it seemed to me at the time, still does. Because as I was completing the coursework and all the things there at the seminary and getting ready, the date had already been set for the ordination. This was uh, almost 30 years ago now. And I had to fill out all sorts of different forms for the process of graduation, in addition to all the exam papers and things like that as well. And also a number of forms that came from the Synod that would register you as being on the roster and all these sort of things. Today, I suppose I'd be all online. <laughs> but right at that time was all these papers that I had to fill up packets full of them. And they would be given to the various parts of the church there at the headquarters and so on. And I remember at that time, I was, it was a joyful time, and that date had been set, and the classes were about to end, hallelujah, and a new beginning was starting. And in my excitement, I was trying to race through all of these papers, fill them out, and get them done as quickly as possible, one after the other after the other. And then I got to one that was to go into the archives, the uh, museum there of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And evidently, they keep a file again, today it's probably all online, of all of the clergy and all the other professional church workers and evidently keep some sort of a history on that uh, through their careers and ministries. And so I filled out that form and I went all the way through it. It had all these sort of nuts and bolts questions of, well, your full name and your date of birth and the classes that you took and what seminary you went to and what prep school you went to and all these things. I filled all those out, filled all those out, and I got to the last question and it said, Date of death. And I stared at it. And I remember it kind of being brought up short, <laughs> thinking, I guess I can't complete this form. I had spent a few months as a helper, a worker in the archives some months before, so I even had a visual picture in my mind. I had been set sent down into the bowels of the museum there where all of these different documents and books and so on were coming in from different collections and different donations and we would stamp them and uh, put the name of the archives on there and file them and so on. And I then had this mental picture of some day, known only to God, when some other student who was doing his internship would get that obituary or whatever word and he would go down in there and fill out that form file it away, and that would be it. And so as I thought back on that, I thought, well, yes, I can't unwind this process. And even on a day when I was anticipating the future, I had, I think what the Italians called a memento mori, a reminder of death. But in the way our Lord always does things, sometimes a little starkly, but always with love. And I think he was reminding me, saying, remember, I have this in my plan. 
You are in my plan. You cannot unwind all of these things. But the good news is, you don't need to. I have already taken care of it. I have already started a new life. And I think that message is for all of us this day. What he was trying to convey to his disciples when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus. Now is the time, not just out of fear, but out of joy. Metanoia, a new beginning, because Jesus has taken care of it all. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.